But tonight's question comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the question deals with one verse that's almost right in the middle of this particular chapter. But before we get to that particular verse, I want to make sure that we understand the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think you're well aware of the fact that the church at Corinth had all kinds of problems. Um, I think if you wanted to be a member of the church during the first century, the church at Corinth was probably not a place you'd want to be. And because it had just problem after problem, it had problems uh, with uh, a son living with his mother-in-law or living with his uh, father's wife. Uh, you had uh, problems with spiritual gifts. You had problems with the giving. Uh, you had problems with people uh, uh, not understanding how uh, church doctrine work. And you had people who had another problem that we're going to be looking at tonight. But First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul begins this particular chapter declaring to us what the gospel is. Before he gets into the discussion of the problem he wants to deal with, he wants to make sure that the church at Corinth, the Corinthians, uh, understood what the gospel was all about. And so he begins by talking about how that he had preached unto them or declared unto them the gospel. And then he tells them that the gospel in a nutshell is how that Christ died for our sins, how he was buried, and how he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Then he gives us some evidence in chapter 15 uh, about the fact that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This wasn't just something that somebody came and told them, but he goes through a long list of witnesses who saw the resurrected Lord. They are eyewitnesses. They are the truth providers of the fact that he did rise from the dead. But then he goes on and starts talking uh, about what the problem is. And we see what the problem is in verse 12. Here's another issue that the church at Corinth is dealing with. And by the way, as I said, I maybe would not want to be a member of the church at Corinth even with all their problems, even with all their error, even with everything that was going on there, they were still considered, considered God's church. And members there were still considered Christians. They just needed to have a lot of teaching on some things that they didn't understand properly. But verse 12 brings us to the next problem in the church at Corinth. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Evidently, there were some in the church at Corinth who were talking either from the pulpit or in Bible class or among themselves that there was no such thing as the resurrection. We don't know really where this influence came from, why they came to this particular conclusion. We don't know if it was from Greek philosophers. We don't know if it was some, from some people like the Sadducees who were Jews that didn't believe in the resurrection. It may just simply be that they expected that Jesus Christ was going to return very quickly after he died. And therefore, uh, since he delayed his coming back, that... Um, there must not be such a thing as the resurrection. And then basically when you're dead, you're dead. And that's the end of it. That that's the end of our lives and we are forever silenced. We are forever dead. And that's the end of it. Well, Paul, beginning at this point, after setting the stage that the whole gospel is based upon the fact that Jesus rose upon the dead, he begins both a negative and positive uh, uh, rebuttal of this particular idea. First of all, he deals with the negative side of this. What if... Christ is not raised from the dead. What would that imply? What would that mean? 
And we don't have time to go through all that tonight. But then as he gets to the end of the chapter, he talks about the glorious things that are the case if there is indeed a resurrection. But tonight our question deals with one specific thing he mentions that confuses a lot of people and really um, has caused a lot of articles to be written, a lot of discussions to be had. Uh, But we'll discuss it tonight for your benefit. And that's found in verse 29 of this chapter. Verse 29, where it simply says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? You look at that and you you say, what in the world is going on there? What in the world is Paul talking about? Um, This is the only place in the scriptures that we have this particular idea of somebody being baptized for the dead. And why in the world did the Apostle Paul uh, bring this up? And what did he mean by bringing it up? Well, all I can share with you is what different people think and um, give you some possibilities. And then you can look at those possibilities and you can decide which is the best possibility for you. The bottom line here is it doesn't matter exactly what Paul meant here because in this particular circumstance he was addressing Corinthians and they knew exactly what he was talking about but we may never know exactly what he was talking about but it has no uh, bearing on our salvation or even on the resurrection. But keep in mind of course that he is making a very important point to them how they are wrong about the fact that there's no such thing as a resurrection. Well, Let's look at some possibilities here. The most popular possibility we have here in verse uh, 29 is the fact that uh, they may have been practicing something that's called um, vicarious baptism for the dead. And what that means is that if someone had already died and they were concerned about that person's salvation, that they would be baptized for that dead person. Uh, In other words, if... um, Say uh, your father died and he never became a Christian. Once he was dead, you would have a baptismal ceremony where uh, even though you were already a Christian, you would be baptized by proxy for him in order for him to be saved and be able to go to heaven. Um, I know that sounds kind of wild, but as I was telling Roger in the parking lot a little while ago when we were talking about tonight's discussion, uh, there's actually a uh, mainline denomination, or some people call it a cult, but a mainline denomination who practices such a thing, and that's the Mormon church. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, the Mormon church has such a huge genealogical record is because people who are Mormons are trying to find out how many ancestors they have and what their names are so they can be baptized for that particular ancestor. Uh, Many years ago, um, Karen and I had the opportunity to visit Salt Lake City, Utah, and I had the opportunity to go into their genealogical library, and that thing is huge, and they have some of the best records. If you're trying to find out who your ancestors are, perhaps than any other place in the world, almost all uh, uh, geological references always come back to uh, the Mormons and their particular study. Well, the reason why that came about was not just because they were interested in providing a service for us to find out who our ancestors are. That came about because they baptized for the dead. They want to make sure they find every single ancestor they've ever had and make sure that they are baptized for that person so all their ancestors going back as far as they can find them can make sure that they go to heaven. And um, this, of course, is a false practice 
by, taught by false teachers. And um, the reason why Paul brings this up is to show that this was a very false idea if there's no resurrection. Now think about what he's done here. He's trying to show them their inconsistency. You're baptizing for the dead because you want them to go to heaven. But yet, here in the same church, you're saying that uh, there's no resurrection. So why in the world are you baptizing people for the dead? It just simply makes no sense. Now, the thing that bothers people, and the, the Mormons get some ammunition from this, is the fact that nowhere in the text or nowhere anywhere else does Paul refute the idea of baptism for the dead. He doesn't start after verse 29 and say, hey, you're wrong on this baptism of the dead thing, and and here's the reasons why. Well, there are people who take that and say, well, since he mentioned it, and it's listed here in Scripture, it must be something that is uh, appropriate to do. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Um, But the point that he is bringing up in this particular case is to show them by the very thing that they are doing, even that thing which is wrong, they are proving his point that there, that there is a resurrection of the dead or why in the world would anybody be uh, baptizing anybody for the dead? And so there are some people who think that's, the, that's his particular view. The only problem with that view and, and is the fact that as far as historical records, there's no historical record anywhere in the antiquities of the Bible as far as going back to the apostolic fathers and, and others, that there's ever any record of this going on, not till after the second century. So Paul would not be dealing with this particular idea, you would think, in this particular time period, though it may have been, and we just don't have any record of it. Well, before we leave this uh, particular idea, and before, uh, and we, even though Paul did not refute it, I think it's very easy to refute if you ever talk to someone uh, who is a Mormon, and they go to this particular verse, and they tell you this is why they baptize for their, their ancestors, they simply point out to them that, that once a person dies, then their eternal destination is sealed. The Bible is very clear about that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It's pointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. There's not a second chance. Uh, if you read the story, of course, about... Um, the rich man and Lazarus over in Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19 and going down through verse 31. Uh, it shows how that once a person dies, they either go to, they go into the Hadean realm, but they either go into the place that is known as Abraham's bosom or paradise, or they go to a place of torment. And it's even told the rich man when he asked to, to, to go back and tell somebody about what's happened to him and let his brothers know it's pointed out that, that someone can't return from the dead, that, uh, that once you die, your eternal destination has been sealed, and all you're doing there in the Hadean realm, of course, is waiting for the judgment day. So it's easy to refute with that particular idea that once you're dead, there's no second chances after death. But the idea of baptizing someone fall, uh, that is dead fall, uh, flies in the face of what the Bible says about what the purpose of baptism is. Before a person can be a proper candidate for baptism, they have to have faith, believe. They have to repent. Uh, they have to be willing to confess the name of Jesus Christ. And, of course, a person who has died has not, has not the ability to do that, so they are not a proper candidate for baptism. 
But as I said, there are some people, and probably the majority of books you'll read, will say that's what was going on here in verse 29, and that may have been the case. There's also others who believe there's something else here. They believe that Paul is alluding back to the doctrine that he taught, that it was a very good doctrine. He brings this doctrine out very fully in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 3, where he makes the comparison to the idea that when a person becomes a Christian, they emulate or follow the pattern of what Jesus Christ did in the gospel. Uh, You've heard me talk about this many times, but the gospel in a nutshell, as Paul's already pointed out here in the first part of chapter 15, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he talks about how that when a person obeys that gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that when they are baptized, they are following the same pattern that Jesus Christ did. They die to the old man of sin, they are buried in the watery grave of baptism, and then they rise again to walk in newness of life. And um, some people believe that what Paul is talking about is the inconsistency then of why in the world would you baptize someone who is dead and the fact that they're never ever going to be alive again and it flies in the face of what the whole gospel is about. Why would you involve yourself in baptism, which means the death, burial, and resurrection of a person to walk in newness of life when there is no resurrection, when Christ didn't rise from the dead. And so what is the point of even baptizing anyone? And some people think that is the case because it says in the text in verse 29, it says for the dead. And as we've talked about before, when there's a definite article in front of a Greek word, it's talking about a specific group of people. And if it just said for dead in the Greek, if it didn't have that definite article, it could be talking about all dead. But here it's talking about some specific group of people. And so Paul maybe have been talking about Christians in general. Why in the world would you baptize those who are forever going to be dead? It makes no sense at all because of the fact that it flies in the face of what the whole gospel is about, what the whole purpose of baptism is. You've created a contradiction by even using the word baptism if there's no resurrection of the dead. And that may be another thing that he is talking about here. There's also two other views I'll share with you, and they're not as common as others. But um, there are some people who believe that what's going on here is that these are people who are being baptized out of respect for dead saints who were alive and encourage them or preach to them to be baptized. I hope that made sense or not, but it's talking about people who were baptized because there is somebody who is now dead that at one time when they were alive, they preached or encouraged these particular people to be baptized. And so after these people died, they started thinking about, well, this person encouraged me to be baptized. This person is now dead. I want to honor what they wanted me to do, and they were right in what they do, and I admired their life, and so I decided to be baptized. And once again, those who make that argument, it's because of the definite article in front of dead again that is talking about a specific group of people. These dead aren't just any dead. There are a specific group of dead people that are being uh, that Paul is talking about. So there are some who think that this could have been the apostles. This could have been uh, somebody um, like Apollos or somebody like that. Because you remember at the very first part of the book of Corinthians, Paul deals with the idea that there were people who had preacher-itis 
who are pledging allegiance to the preachers that baptized them. And so that may be what is going on here. But once again, the whole point is, is the inconsistency of this. Why in the world are you honoring what a dead person did by being baptized if there's no resurrection? There's a contradiction here. Why be baptized in the honor of someone who's dead that will never ever be resurrected and you're doing something that promotes resurrection? It's all about the inconsistency that he's talking about here. And there's one very um, obscure view, but I can see how they came to this particular view if you wanted to hold this view. But they think that the baptizing that's going on here is not baptism in the sense of person being immersed for the remission of sins, but the baptism that is going on here is the person who is being baptized by blood. And the blood is the blood of martyrs. In other words, what Paul is talking about here is, uh, what about all those people who have died for the cause of Jesus Christ? What about all those people who, who have been burned at the stake or eaten at, by lions or, or have been crucified because of their faith in Jesus Christ? Um, the baptism here is baptism by blood. And once again, he's showing the inconsistency here of the fact, why in the world would someone go to the cross or someone go to the lion's den or someone go to the, the uh, burning post or whatever way of execution by sword or by hanging or whatever, why would someone cling to their faith so strongly if there was no resurrection of the dead? If this life was all there was, a person would probably do whatever they could to spare their life because once this life was over, then there would be endless darkness, eternal death, and there would be no point in a person willing to die a martyr's death in order to, um, to hold to something that had no valid reason to hold to it if there was no resurrection. So just some ideas here that people present that's from this particular uh, verse. But the main thing, as I've already emphasized, that you need to understand is that Paul is building a case here. He's building the case for resurrection, and as he goes through this chapter, he goes through pointing out what would be the negative effects and what would be the positive effects. And one of the negative things that he brings out is, what's the point of baptism of the dead if there is no resurrection? And whether he's talking about vicarious baptism or whether he's talking about uh, baptism in general or whether he's talking about those who have gone on before and you're being baptized now because of them or if he's talking about a martyr's death, he's showing the inconsistency to hold such a view if you're doing any four of these things. It just doesn't make logical sense. If there's no resurrection, why are you doing any of these? And he's trying to show them that you can't have it both ways. You can't do this and yet say there's no resurrection. But as I also said, this really has nothing to do with us today because, first of all, if it is such a thing as baptism of the dead that was being taught during this time period, the Bible very easily refutes such a, uh, a tactic or such a theology. And also we need to understand and appreciate not what he wrote here in verse 29 so much because that probably deals closely, more closely to the church at Corinth, but what he says um, later on at the end of the chapter that gives us such hope, that gives us such promise. Beginning at verse 41, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, 
and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he finishes the chapter, Therefore, if all these things are true, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Apostle Paul wanted us to understand that one of the central tenets of our faith is that there is a resurrection, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to deliver us from sin and that he rose from the dead to deliver us from death. That is our hope, that is our promise that's been made by God and his son Jesus Christ and that is the thing that keeps us keeping on. And so uh, we should never be like the church at Corinth and ever hold the idea that there's no such thing as a resur- uh, no such thing as a resurrection. Uh, to echo the words of Paul in this same chapter, if there's no such thing as the resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If you do not have that same hope that Paul talked about tonight, and as he concluded chapter 15, we want to give you that hope. If it's because you've never put on Christ in baptism, we want to talk to you more about that. Or if you just simply need the encouragement and prayers of the church to rebuild that hope that you should have in your life, we want you to come as together we stand and sing.